every week we talk to dozens of SaaS founders and operators about the inner workings of growing a business, from the day-to-day minutiae, to inspiration, to the tough decisions, and the mistakes made along the way. You're listening to the SaaS Open Mic Podcast. My name is Olivia Jarvis. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics in just a few clicks. That's chartmogul.com. My guest this week is Ross Rich. Ross is the co-founder and CEO of Accord. He's a Y Culminator alum and he's a proud Canadian. Accord is a customer collaboration platform for B2B sales, onboarding, and success. Before founding Accord, Ross spent over four years at Stripe, where he helped scale the sales team from three to over 300 as their top performing rep. In a past life, he worked at Columbia Records with artists such as Calvin Harris, OMI, Snoop Dogg, and Pharrell. Here's my chat with Ross. Ross, thank you so much for joining me today. Like we do with everyone, please start with who you are and where you are. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm Ross Rich, CEO and co-founder of Accord, and I am right now in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. My home. But you are not typically there. Is that accurate? Are you usually elsewhere? Yeah, I am usually elsewhere. I spent the last about seven years in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, during the pandemic, kind of been bumping around everywhere. I spent about seven months in Tahoe, California during the winter and ski season before this. And then back in Toronto, catching up with friends and family and doing the remote thing the summer. So, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Good place to be in the summertime. So you are a Canadian that made your way to the Bay Area. Congratulations. There's a few of us down there. Give people an introduction to you. Who are you? What are you up to these days? Give us a little bit of your professional story. Okay, professional. So I was about to go into all my personal story there, but I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm a Sagittarius. Um, okay, so professional experience. Yeah, so been doing a chord the last couple of years, which I'm sure we'll dive into during the session. But before then... I had spent about five years at Stripe, the payments technology company, as one of their first business and sales hires and helped scale the thing to basically like three of us just trying to figure out like, what do we respond to people that actually want to have a sales conversation to a 500 person global sales organization, which was just an incredible ride. And before then, I was actually in the music industry, very random as well. I was in New York and LA before then working at Columbia Records, working with artists like Calvin Harris, Snoop Dogg, Omi, if you remember that song, that hit song of the summer, Cheerleader. So some of the, the projects that I worked on, very different than oh. and Stripe and Accord, but that was what I did uh, before having a real professional job. What a pivot. That's kind of interesting. So you went from music into software, and now you have your own software company called Accord. Accurate? Exactly. Is that the yeah. path? Okay, cool. So Accord is kind of what we wanted to chat about today. Um, I invited you on to to speak specifically on building repeatable revenue processes. Um, The background here is, I mean, I speak to a lot of software businesses that have kind of found product market fit and are starting to get off the ground with a formal sales process. I have been the first account executive in these tiny startups, Mm -hmm. and I'm the first to tell you that sometimes the sales process creation goes really right. And sometimes it goes really, really wrong. So this sounds like what you and your team in Accord are passionate about, and you're helping teams build these repeatable processes. Let's chat a little bit more about that. If you're cool to kind of get into the details, tell me a little bit about what the jobs to be done are when you're considering a repeatable revenue process. Who are the internal players? Where do things kind of start? Yeah, I think it really starts. And this is a question we get a a lot is not necessarily, you know, like, what do we start with? But when do we start? I think is like the big question. I think a yeah. lot of people 
I see oftentimes finding a lot of comfort in process and operationalizing things when maybe that's not the right time. Talk to some folks that get the product off the ground and they're still really in that like, let's have a hundred conversations and see what people are saying versus like operationalizing a sales and onboarding process. So I'd say at least having, you know, your depends on obviously the average contract size, but like, let's just roughly say 10 to 20 customers that are paying. That's usually the right time to start thinking about it. It's not before then. It's not, you have one person that's paying you, you know, a hundred dollars because they're going to be a design partner. And now we're going to scale out and build out this repeatable process. And it's probably too late if you have 50, hundred customers and you're, you know, every rep or every person's doing something different and getting that in order, it's a lot harder at that point. So really in kind of that, you know, 10, 20 customer phase, you start to think about, you know, how are we going to scale this thing for adding on people? Um, but to actually answer your question, I would say the people that are typically involved, I would say definitely the leaders, you know, whoever's leading go to market, whether that's still the CEO or your first revenue leader, definitely marketing, thinking about, you know, what are people thinking of when they come into the funnel? I think that's like a really missed opportunity usually and usually that like, you know, kind of misalignment between marketing and sales. People don't think about what's the positioning going into the sales funnel, what conversation do customers think they're going to have? And then product, what's their first product experience? So I think both from the beginning with the marketing and the end with product, people miss those key pieces and stakeholders. So, yeah. Hmm. The timing piece is interesting. I, um, I've been in early stage businesses that have, you know, sold one or two customers and then raised some money and we're like, let's hire 10 more reps because if we did it twice, we could do it 10 more times, times two. Like it's so exciting. And oftentimes it goes haywire Yeah. when we're looking at timing and you've got those first customers kind of in the door. Mm-hmm. What are you starting to think about in terms of laying out the process? What are the moving parts that people are looking at to create a repeatable process? Yeah, I think it starts with people um, in terms of laying those out. And I think it's, you know, let's let's say, you know, the the most cases, it's typically the CEO that's closing that first one or two or a few deals. The first hire or hires are so key. And I think a lot of people miss by either hiring like an SDR type person or a very junior AE. And you expect the first deals, you know, people are buying typically first because you're talking to someone with some sort of expertise or can help them with their business beyond your product. So jumping straight to there, is usually not the move. Or what I see a lot of times is, yeah, they hire the first rep as like a VP type because they're going to initially hire the next five or 10 very quickly or anything. So there's a big difference between, again, like CEO or, you know, founder, someone like that selling the first few deals and a random person who's never heard of your company before they interviewed closing them. So I'd say the big mistake that I see is, yeah, either the very, very junior hire or the extremely senior hire with starting to think about that process. So I'd say it starts with the person. I would say like hire someone either who has some management experience in sales, who's thought about process and people a little bit because as an IC, you typically don't or early stage AE preferably has been to two or three companies and seen that over time and they can help partner with you to build out that process. So hopefully that's helpful suggestion. Yeah, totally. For sure. I think that the the funnel piece is also critical here, thinking about marketing, thinking about sales, and then thinking about those first interactions with your product. How can a team kind of look at those three parts of the funnel and start to critically analyze where they need to put some attention? Yeah, I think it's really hard to like, 
because you're so close to all these pieces to really reflect like objectively on that. I always have found it really helpful to, if you're going through a buying experience yourself, or even just like, you know, you want to evaluate a new piece of technology to do that with someone else, then reflect on your own, because you're not really thinking about these touch points from like a first principles perspective. You're just so used to the copy on your site and the CTAs and the forms. It's kind of just like second nature, especially if you've been involved in building a lot of the stuff. So going to someone else's, thinking about what they have or looking at a bunch of different websites and kind of going through that in the sales process really helps you kind of like step back from that. But yeah, the key ones that I think about, and we've made a bunch of changes too recently are, you know, what's the key core positioning, like your hero image and like first letters on your site to what's the main CTA and form like to get started or request a demo? And then what's that first touch point like with your sales rep? I think that kind of frames the rest of it. But uh, I think people would be, I was very surprised, you know, and wow, we're really asking people to do this when I went to a few other sites and I was like, this would be way better. Oh, what they do and kind of like taking inspiration from other folks that are further along. So that's kind of how I think about it. For sure. How do you know when to iterate? Like if you start a process and you're kind of getting some traction, leads are coming in, business is coming in the door, money's in your pocket. How can someone take a critical look at the process that they've created and know that it's time to iterate? Yeah, hopefully, you know, you're kind of driving strategically to a new set of goals, right? That are typically stretch goals. And then you're like, okay, if we need to hit X number of customer sign this quarter or year or number of leads or whatever that is, or, you know, ACV kind of working backwards from there and then picking the right parts of the process to iterate on, I think is probably the way to go because like everything can be improved, especially if you had a high growth startup, no matter the stage from pre-seed to series D prioritizing based on your strategic objectives, I'd say is probably the way to go and like how to reflect what part of the process with timing. And then I'd say the best way to iterate is to actually, you know, kind of similar to the advice that I had around going through someone else's process with looking at iterating it, really writing it down. And I think people are very surprised when they write down what are the interactions, what exactly are the emails that are going out to customers at a certain point? What are the asks? What are the resources we're you know, asking them to look at at certain points? You'd be like, oh shit, like up front we have all these resources, then nothing here, and thinking about different yeah. parts of the funnel. If you don't really write it down and visualize, it's really hard to understand what you're doing and what to make changes for. Um, yeah. Customer journey mapping, right? Yeah. Understanding what somebody's going through to kind of be part of it. And I think you're totally hitting the nail on the head here. Like oftentimes when you map something out, it's pretty t- easy to figure out where the customer is potentially going to fall in a hole and yeah. never come back out. Yeah. I used to do this with early stage businesses that I used to work with. And we used to see the biggest place that customers would kind of fall was at this transition point between sales to onboarding or sales Mm -hmm. to support, which tends to happen, right? You're focused so hard on bringing revenue in the door. We oftentimes forget about retention. Completely. And another another common area that I hear from sales leaders or reps or or CEOs from is that first call, like there's so much of this focus on top of the funnel and having that first meeting to the second or third and the drop-off that they have in their funnel just being massive there. And I'm like, I don't know, what I see a lot is it's like the heavy pitch on that first call. They're like really excited and like, oh, there's definitely a user. Instead of like the step back, how can you obviously deliver on them reaching out for a demo or whatever it is, but kind of giving them like a peek into it and hopefully educating them, like teaching them something new where they want to spend time with that person or with you as a company 
Uh, so that's another super common pitfall that, uh, that I see. Yeah. I think um, this is reminding me of yesterday. Our team is getting ready for Saster. I don't know if you're going to Saster, but I was helping everyone. Of course. Amazing. Good. So look for Chart Mobile. We've got a big booth. But I was helping our non-sales people understand that there are kind of three parts to a great customer interaction, right? You want to understand what interest somebody has in why they booked a demo or why they're coming to talk to you. Then there's an opportunity to educate. And then there's an opportunity to kind of inspire and create a next forward motion, which kind of segues nicely into my next question. What part does a customer or a buyer play in this journey? How can they kind of be an active participant in their own sales cycle? Yeah, I think they play the main part. <laughs> um, I think correct. <laughs> we think about like our jobs and what we're trying to get done. And it's, you know, similar all, you know, I, I'm kind of seeing a theme in like the advice I'm sharing and how I usually talk about this, which is like perspective is really hard. It's hard when you're working, you know, it's the classic, I don't know if you've heard this expression of like the curse of knowledge, like, you know, your thing so well, it's really hard to see it from someone else's point of view. And the hardest part of that is putting yourself not in the, you know, the marketing perspective, all the other stuff I've talked about so far, but really in the buyer's point of view, it's a really big challenge. And I think that's where a lot of the shortcomings come from, from kind of go to market motions of a lot of companies. And which is why I always recommend like starting with being a buyer for someone else, because that's like the best way to get yourself out of that mindset. Um, but yeah, it starts and ends with the customer and what role do they play? I think it's a mix of, I think it's funny because there's a philosophy around like the guy, it's the buyer's journey and they guide the process or like the salesperson's job is to be the guide and push them through a process and they don't know much. It's obviously like, like most answers to questions, it's somewhere in between where right. Every customer where they're coming from, from the sales process is at a different part of their buying experience or buying journey. They could be learning about the space in general and just curious and doing early research. They could be something's on fire and they need to buy this thing tomorrow or yesterday, as they say, to solve this issue and really understanding where they, you know, what part of the sales or buyer journey they're at, I think is the most important kind of first interaction with them. But does that help answer the question? Anything else? Yeah. I can- Yeah, I think so. Um, I also kind of wonder, depending on what you're selling, if it's worth even getting, you know, buyers to specific stages in their journey so they understand where they're at in their own buying journey to say, Mm -hmm. okay, when we hit phase X, this is usually when you bring in person Y or whatever it might be. Yeah, I was wondering. Totally. That's a really good point is like, what I think, you know, organically, I think the best sellers do is they walk the customer through just what the journey looks like. And this is what we work on a lot at Accord is like this being very transparent and collaborative of like what the roadmap even looks like in the first place. I think one of the challenges that we consistently hear from prospects and customers is their buyers don't know how to buy. Mm. And a lot of people assume that they do. Like a lot of the new technologies and startups that we see out there, there isn't the equivalent that they're just like shifting off of. Like there wasn't a, you know, it was a sheet or it was a dock or it was just like, bad meetings that happened before instead of solving for this problem and educate them on like, Hey, we work with folks exactly like you. This is typically what they're doing before. This is where they want to get to. Okay. They're nodding along. It's like, this is the process, you know, first we do this, then we bring in so-and-so and so-and-so from either the technical side or business side. And then if everyone feels like this is, you know, in the right ballpark for a solution, we put together either, you know, is it a trial, is it a POC, is it whatever. And then this is what onboarding would look like. And, you know, most, most deals are lost by no decisions, not from competitors. And I think it's because 
it's a high risk associated with when you don't know what the process is going to look like and kind of talking about the drop off after the first meeting, if they don't have a sense of like where to go and being supported, it's a lot easier to work on something that you know and kind of go back to your day to day than talk to a new vendor. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And to your point around writing down a process, if you can kind of map out what a buyer journey looks like to a buyer and then figure out where people are falling off, you yourself have some work to do in looking at that and being like, oh, is our buyer journey too complicated? Could we be more product led? I mean, I think ideally we're in a product led time right now where people should, you know, ideally be able to get from point A to point B if you are a product led business and, and ideally upgrade or, or experience your product quite simply. Um, but that's not always the case. So looking at things and understanding is your product too complicated? Is your sign up flow too much? Um, this is something I say to founders all the time. Okay. Revenue generation often falls on sales, which makes sense. I mean, we think about new business and I think that that's where revenue, oftentimes the, the wheels go there, but where else can we transfer revenue generation to other departments or other people within the business that are responsible for thinking this through? Yeah. I think a lot of people say it starts with marketing in terms of like the funnel, but I really think it starts with well, even before I was going to say product, but even before product, it's really market and persona, which I mm. think is like a leadership level decision. Like what is, who is the person we're solving this for and what stage, all that kind of stuff, which then funnels down to what value, what problems is this going to solve for them and what value are you going to provide in solution, which then really begins with product. And then it's like, how do you product market? How do you get this out to the world? Knowing this persona, all that kind of stuff. Sales is kind of the end, but it's closest tied to that decision, which is why it obviously falls to them. It's like the furthest down the funnel. But for me, it's like market and product and problem you're solving for building the thing that delivers that value, which is going to be closest tied to the end decision. And how are we going to message that and get that out and find new people to discover this you know, problem space? And then it's sales. So that's kind of how I think about all the pieces of that, that puzzle, at least at an early stage. When it's a more developed market, it's like there's less questions about the who and the what and all that kind of stuff. And then your messaging is probably more concrete. So it's like really the lever you have is probably more salespeople and process stuff there. But I think if you don't have that like 110% nailed, it definitely is thinking about it kind of more, more broadly. Totally. Do you find that you guys at Accord are working more so with quite early stage businesses that are still kind of getting their feet under them with the product market fit piece? A bit of a mix. I think we assumed originally it was going to be for much more advanced later stage sales organizations that we're kind of optimizing for like, Hey, we have product market fit. We're in hyper growth. Like how do we go from our first 10 reps to 50 to 150 and like everyone do the same thing and not have everyone reinvent the wheel. And I think what we found is a lot of earlier stage companies are looking for a framework to write this down, kind of going back to the questions about how do you iterate and build this repeatable process? They're like, I want to map this out. I want the best practices. I want to see example templates of what this could look like. And we want to be more transparent and collaborative with our customers to actually show them and guide them through the process. So it's one of those funny things when you go to market, you kind of learn, even though you think, you know, you, you know, everything, you're starting this company, you're passionate about the space, you kind of learn from how people react to it. And we put the word out and, you know, did our big tech crunch launch and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, wow, like some of these earlier stage companies are ready to buy now and use it to solve this problem that we weren't even necessarily like thinking about at the time, but it's the same, you know, same product. And it's kind of hindsight's 2020. It seems very obvious talking about it now, but at the time you kind of have those blinders on. Yeah. Well, this is a good segue for you to plug a cord. Do you want to tell people what you guys are doing and how they can work with you? Give us your pitch. 
Yeah. So Accord is a customer-facing collaboration workspace for B2B sales, onboarding, success. Basically allows you to create these shared workspaces similar to like an Asana or Trello or, you know, Monday.com, Google Docs, Sheets, whatever, where you can, from templates, proactively share everything we're talking about. What are the typical next steps, timelines, milestones, resources, team members on each side, the executive summary of the deal to really, again, be more collaborative and engaging in the sales process and drive that repeatable, predictable sales and onboarding process. So um, love working with early stage founders or high growth sales organizations and onboarding organizations to help them figure out how are they going to hire those next five reps and make sure they're successful instead of everyone just kind of off in their own world doing their own thing. So cool. And I mean, I think that it's interesting that you went into market thinking you were going to go after this kind of mid-sized business and all these you know, early stagers are coming at you. That's not shocking to me to your hindsight is 2020. Like I'm sure that a lot of people are having some great aha moments working with you guys on things that they probably never even considered before while they're getting things going. Totally. Yeah. That's been, I think one of the most exciting things, well, two probably from, from working on Accord. One is like, yeah, even before they start this collaboration with customers and like using these on deals, just like seeing the thing is like, this is what we're getting, we're asking people to do. And it's just like not making sense when it's actually on paper where you can get that from things like engineering and design and marketing. You have your plan, like in sales, you don't really have that. So that's been really cool. And then also just hearing the feedback from our customers, customers, like how much they appreciate that added transparency and like approach to partnership. And that was the big question to start, right? Is like, this isn't a generally used thing in the space right now. And hearing that feedback of like, wow, you guys are really rolling out the red carpet for us. Or just like, I wish every vendor would share their like path to success and everything. Like, it feels like we need to get to that next meeting to get pricing and then to get these resources. Just like knowing that is, you know, definitely a great way to, to build the right relationships. Yeah, for sure. This concept was introduced to me um, maybe like six or so years ago from someone who was selling Slack. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is an initial and early stage product led business. And I thought it was so interesting that he was leading people through this process of kind of mapping out the deal and mapping out all the moving parts. And I have taken that. And when I do early stage sales coaching, it's the first thing I tell people to do, build a collaborative close plan, because then your buyer feels very, very much like the red carpet was rolled out, which is really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. Um, Okay. So real life case studies in our sector, who can you point to that has really gotten the sales process, the repeatable sales process right? Yeah. Good question. Who's gotten this really right? Um, I had a great buying experience. I think I posted about this the other day with um, remote.com. I don't know if you've heard of them. They help. Oh yeah. Hiring easy kind of across. Like we started hiring more in Canada recently. Didn't have an entity there made it super easy. One of the small pieces that I love from their experience versus when I was researching other folks in the space, just being able to book the meeting directly from the request demo or like get started form and then like find the time right away and get set up and just how easy it was to get started with them, I think was great. Like it's one of those things where it's not purely product lab. Like you want to talk to someone when you're like getting this type of thing. It's so important. Yeah. So but like assisted by these tools and technologies. Like that's what I get really excited about is like, I'm passionate about sales and like think that in a lot of ways, like the human component is so important. It's not all going to be, you know, not every company is going to be whatever name you're like purely product like Calendly. Like you don't want to talk to a Calendly rep, like you get it, but not every company is like that. So I love the of 
the tools and technology and repeatability with the human dimension and make it easy for, and that's the, that's the way the seller wants to work too. You don't have to like schedule, like do all that stuff. You just want it like, boom, have a great conversation. Yeah. I think that that's a really, really good point. The human component too. This came up in my conversation with Alexis Graybell, who runs product led sales and she's, she runs a company called Pocus. And we were talking about the human component and how important it is to really not forget that that is also a massive component to a company's success. Is there also being a human and sharing the story of the buyer and going back to product, coming back to that Mm -hmm. funnel idea, going back to product and saying early someone received value here and not here. So kind of an interesting full circle. Um, Okay, Ross, where can people find you? How can people get in touch with you? Um, Yeah, always down to chat about any of the stuff that we just discussed. Um, You can check me out on LinkedIn, Ross Rich. Um, if you wanted to learn more about Accord newsletters, all this kind of stuff, talk about best practices, we're at inaccord.com. That's I N A C C O R D.com and hit us up. Awesome. You guys have a great blog. You guys have some cool academy stuff. Everyone should go check it out. Um, and see you at Saster. Yes. See you there. Great. All right, Ross. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the SAS Open Mic Podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, head over to chartmogul.com to try Chartmogul today.